0: Welcome to Upstream Downstream, a lively civil discussion devoted to the political, policy, and cultural topics that often divide us. Upstream Downstream is presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University in cooperation with WSHC-FM.
1: Here's your host, David Welch. Welcome to another edition of Upstream Downstream, one we're calling The Clean Sweep of 2020 and What It Means, Volume 1. Volume 2 will be uh, aired next week. On Tuesday, January 5th, the Democrats completed what they began back in November by winning two runoff seats for the United States Senate in Georgia. These two victories resulted in a 50-50 tie in the upper chamber, which, after Vice President Kamala Harris breaks that tie, the Democrats will control the Senate for the next two years by the narrowest possible margin. This, along with another narrow victory for the Democrats in the House of Representatives and Democrat Biden in the White House, is bound to change a few things in Washington politics. To help us figure it all out from a Democratic perspective, we've invited Scott Widmeyer to join us. Scott has a 30-year record in providing strategic counsel to scores of decision-makers, from presidents to governors to chief executive officers to union leaders, including President Jimmy Carter, Vice President Walter Mondale, and U.S. Senator Jay Rockefeller. He is the founding managing partner and chief strategy officer of Finn Partners, an international public relations firm, and serves as a founding board member of the Stubblefield Institute. Next week, we'll host Republican leader Kelly Johnston. But first, Scott Widmeyer, welcome to Upstream Downstream.
0: Thanks, David. It, uh, it's great to be here, and it's, it's really great to be part of the work of the Stubblefield Institute at uh, Shepherd
1: University. Well, we certainly uh, uh, enjoy having you being a part of it, Scott, and you've been a tremendous influence in the uh, initial year and a half that we've been uh, at, at an institute, so thank you. Thanks. It all comes down to two runoffs. It all came down to two runoffs, I should say, in Georgia. Why did the Democrats prevail, or put it another way, how did the Republicans lose a southern red state for the second time in eight weeks?
0: Well, I think the Democrats prevailed in Georgia, and I, and I, I will be the first to, to admit, uh, I was, I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that the Democrats won both of the seats in Georgia on, on January 5th. Uh, I thought it was going to be uh, maybe a 1-1 uh, tie, uh, where one Democrat might win and one Republican might win, but I think it all came down to—I uh, think it came down to the role that President Trump played in the last several weeks uh, leading into the uh, to that uh, runoff election in Georgia. Uh, I think he went way too far in making it all about him. Uh, I don't think the two Republican candidates got to showcase their real identity. Uh, they had to cozy up to him way too much. And uh, uh, I think the, the backlash in terms of, of how Trump did not accept the results of the Georgia election uh, in November uh, backfired on the Republicans. And, uh, and the Democrats did a great job uh, getting their, uh, their side out to vote. Uh, and a lot of credit goes to Stacey Abrams uh, uh, in, in Georgia. She, uh, she was an amazing uh, contributor to getting people out to vote in the general election to uh, to get uh, Biden winning in Georgia, uh, but she did even more to get uh, voters out uh, earlier this month uh, in the uh, in the two runoffs in, in Georgia. So. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a good victory for the Democrats, uh, but as you say, it's 50-50 and, uh, the Vice President, Vice President Harris will be the tiebreaker. So, uh, this is what, what I'm telling everyone, what I'm telling my clients, what I tell, uh, younger people who are looking at this as a, as a moment in history to learn from is, is that we need to, we need to restore bipartisanship. We need to restore civility, and we need to uh, develop a new tone in terms of how we're going to govern.
1: With the Democrats, Scott, in control now of everything, many in the opposing party are predicting a sharp turn toward extreme liberalism, if not socialism. Is this where we're headed, or is this just political hyperbole?
0: That is total political hyperbole. That, First of all, it's not representative of Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden is a centrist. Uh, He's a moderate. Uh, He has been around for quite some time. Uh, People know Joe Biden. He's not some new face. Uh, He's not a uh, a telemarketing face that Donald Trump was or a a, a TV reality show face that Donald Trump was. Uh, He's better known than than Barack Obama was when Obama took uh, control of the White House uh, eight years ago, uh, four years ago. No, eight years ago. Uh, so people know Joe Biden. The Republican establishment knows Joe Biden. He's worked with he's worked with people on both sides of the aisle, uh, and uh, so he's going to operate in the center. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the show. But uh, we we need someone who's going to do all that they possibly can do. And it cannot rest on one person to unify this country. This country is so divided right now. And, and Joe Biden will work on that. We've seen that already coming through in his tone, in the statements he makes. Uh, he will not be the divider that Donald Trump was. Uh, and, and Joe Biden will bring people together.
1: On January sixth, Americans were horrified as Trump supporters stormed the Capitol, broke through security, and invaded the inner sanctum of our government. Scott, can you share with us your thoughts as you watched the events of that day unfold, and maybe further share with us what it really means?
0: Well, it means a lot of things, uh, and, and I'll try to kind of list what it what it means to me, and I think what it means to. I think what it means to most Americans uh, most Americans believe in our system of government it's not perfect uh it 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 was formed by our founders and uh they were not perfect uh we are an evolving government uh, we have a constitution that uh is vibrant and allows us to uh to make our system of government work better uh what happened on January 6th in our nation's capital was it was a it was a 9/11. Yeah, it was it, it, it goes down it'll go down in the record books. Uh, you know, s- similar to how we uh, how we were affected by September 11, 2001, and now we have January 6, 2021. Uh, that day will go down in history uh, as a huge stain on American democracy. Uh, it'll go down as one that, uh, where we saw violent terrorist, domestic terrorist uh, attack our country, uh, and it will also go down as a moment where Donald Trump uh, enabled these people. He encouraged these people to go down the avenues of our capital and to move and descend on the nation's capital and attack that building. Uh, work to destroy that building, uh, potentially harm members of Congress who are trying to do their job. Uh, so this will not, this will, this will not be forgotten. And, and, and I'm sorry, I have to be partisan. Uh, the Republican Party, uh, in many cases enabled this effort to happen as well. Not as much as Donald Trump, but mainstream Republicans lost their battle uh with Donald Trump during the 2016 elections we saw a lot of mainstream folks go down uh to Donald Trump you know from Jeb Bush to Marco Rubio and others and since then since that 2016 election when Donald Trump uh did eke out a victory many most of the republicans within the republican party fell under Donald Trump's spell and, and I have to say, they served as, as an enabler to allow this man to wreak havoc on the country. Uh, and the other point I would make is uh, Donald Trump is an authoritarian. And unfortunately, uh, and I would encourage a lot of people, if they're interested in learning more about authoritarianism, to read the book by Republican, former Republican John Dean, and, uh, and his co-author read the book, Authoritarian Nightmare. It came out earlier in in 2020, and it looks at how we have a core base in this country that represents probably about 20 to 25% of the American people who adhere to authoritarianism. And I think a lot of those folks that you saw going through the Capitol building on January 6th are part of that authoritarian regime. So, we need to figure out, and I'm not sure we can, we need to figure out how to respond effectively to that uh cadre of the American public uh because we can't this country cannot continue to operate and function uh as a democratic institution. Uh, if we allow this kind of behavior to continue. So I would encourage people to understand a little bit more about authoritarianism. Uh, so I think those are, those are some of the lessons that come out of, of the January 6th attack uh, on the nation's capital. Uh, it, uh, a lot can still unfold. Um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I have concerns about what will happen uh, we need to be very uh, cautious about how we uh, go forward with uh, President-elect Biden's inauguration on January 20th. Uh, we need to make sure uh, that the, the height of security is at its highest, uh, and maybe. And I and I know the Biden team is rethinking and has been rethinking even prior to January 6th, rethinking what inauguration day looks like. I, I must say, you know, as I sat in front of the TV and my laptop watching the events unfold on January 6th, I, you know, for for hours I probably forgot that we were in the midst of a global pandemic and we're in the midst of a pandemic that is harming the United States worse than any other country in the world. Uh, and I forgot about that. Uh, but we, we have got to get through this pandemic. Uh, and I'm sorry, but... Uh, the Trump administration uh, has not effectively responded to the pandemic. Uh, They've ignored it, uh, and they ignored it by telling people, by not enforcing uh, the mask requirements. Um, We have seen the rollout of they can take credit for Operation Warp Speed in in ensuring that key pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer and Moderna uh, Went on fast track to get the vaccines developed, but the rollout, the distribution, has been a disaster. Uh, so we, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have a, well, they will they're inheriting a mess in four days.
1: We're visiting with Democratic media strategist Scott Widmeyer over his 30-plus year career. Scott has advised presidents, vice presidents, and members of Congress, in addition to dozens of associations and organizations. And we're talking today about how Washington and American politics in general changes now that the Democrats have taken the White House and both houses of Congress. Scott, you made a comparison to 9-11, and I remember 9-11 as one in which the country actually came together in the days and weeks and months following that event. Do you see some kind of unity happening in this case as well?
0: Yes, I do, Uh, and we we sorely need that. Uh, It's been missing for the last four years, uh, we sorely need this coming together. I do believe we will see some semblance of that. Uh, I know Joe Biden is that type of leader, uh, and I think you'll see it from, uh, from a core group of, of Republicans uh, in the House and Senate. Uh, you know, I would point to, uh, I think, Mitch McConnell, uh, who will now be the minority leader. I think Mitch McConnell will step up. Uh, he understands the importance of this. Uh, I think we've already seen Mitt Romney step up. He knows how crucial it is for uh, for our country to come together. Uh, I think you'll see it. You're, you're beginning to see it from uh, former President uh, George W. Bush uh, and the statements that he's been making. Uh, so I do think you will see that. Uh, I, I, one of the things that we'll have to, and I'm sure you'll talk to Kelly Johnson about this as well, one of the things that the Republican Party needs to do is they need to rethink the role they're going to play uh, going forward. Um, uh, fortunately, Donald Trump will not be in office, so they, they're not going to be a slave to Donald Trump anymore. Uh, the Republican Party is splintered. Uh, Right now, uh, I look at it as a Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley wing of the party going forward versus a Mitt Romney wing, maybe a Larry Hogan wing of the party, maybe a Charlie Baker wing of the party. Uh, And there's others. We'll we'll see. Uh, The the other point I would make is uh, looking at a Democrat that we need to really model behavior after. We need more Joe Manchins. Uh We need a lot more Joe Manchins, uh who can help bring Democrats and Republicans together to sit down and work on legislation, to develop policy, to develop how we're going to articulate our positions, and to represent what civil discourse is really all about. Uh, I don't always agree with Joe Manchin on everything, and that's fine. We don't have to agree on everything, but we have to have the ability to be able to talk about these things with with with, with each other, uh, with people within our families, with people in our communities. Uh, and when I'm talking, about, when I bringing up the word community, community means a lot of things. This is, and what we're dealing with right now, this is not a wa- this is not just a Washington thing. This is not just a federal government thing. This is a community thing. So. I know a lot of your listeners live in small towns and communities, uh, both rural, suburban, and we need to look to those communities as as answers to a lot of these problems because the more we can localize things, the more we can get people talking about these things at a local level. It bubbles up, and that's where real action can happen. so so, I do want it's, to, it's pretty hard to be optimistic right now, but I do have some, you know, I do have a little sense of optimism that, that we can, uh, we can uh, develop new approaches uh, to, to working together and living together and being a community. Uh, it happens in our schools. It happens in our churches. It happens at rec centers. It happens in sports. We need to really embody that and bring it all together.
1: You mentioned the uh, the COVID as as an issue that you almost forgot yeah. that it was an issue uh, when right. you were watching on on January right. the sixth, and and I wanted to kind of bring this back to to uh, one of the exit polling statistics that I saw in the Georgia Senate race, which is in Georgia, seven out of ten Democrats say that COVID is their number one issue, yet only three out of ten Republican voters in Georgia said that COVID was their most important issue. What does that tell us, if anything, about Georgia voters or the differences uh, between Republicans and Democrats?
0: Well, I think I think it tells us that the Republican voter uh, was listening a lot to Donald Trump, who has tried to dismiss COVID as much as possible. Uh, And so I think I think it comes I think it really comes down to that whereas the Democrats have heard much more from their representatives about how we need to respond more effectively uh, to the pandemic. So I think, it, I think it more or less comes down to that. Um, and i, I, I got to add another thing. I think one of the things that, that came out of the four years of Donald Trump, and I know part of this embodies... Uh, some Republican policy not all Republican policy but is 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 this has been this bent to get government out of our lives and I think in some ways Donald Trump exemplified removing the role of government in dealing with this pandemic if if we had had uh, bill clinton or george bush or barack obama in the white house at the midst of this pandemic i think you would have seen a work a daily working exercise where the president and his key people were reaching out to all 50 states and to their governors and to develop an effective federal state operations to deal with the pandemic you can see it right now Every state and every county in this country has a different way of rolling out the vaccines. It doesn't have to be that way. Unfortunately, it is. I'm not sure that Joe Biden coming into office in five days is going to change the, the, how, it's being, how the vaccines are being distributed. Uh, it's, it's the way, the fragmentation of how we have handled this pandemic is a disgrace, and I hope that once we get through this, there will be a major, just like we had a 9-11 investigation of, of how we responded to 9-11 and how it happened and how could it happen in this country. I hope we will have the same sort of investigation uh, around the pandemic. I also want to say that I hope we will have, have a serious investigation of what happened with the lack of security and in law enforcement that did not take place immediately yesterday or four to, a week and a half ago to uh, to limit the protesters coming into the capitol building. There's a video there to prove that that some of the police let these people in. So we need to have an investigation around that.
1: There are, as we move forward of course, there are policy differences, issue differences if you will, that uh, will be uh, uh, more on. Uh, That will resemble more of Joe Biden's philosophy than that of Donald Trump. And some of them are somewhat controversial, especially in razor thin majorities such as the ones that exist in Congress. Let's start with immigration. What Mm -hmm. do you see as the difference in immigration policy going forward in this first year of the Biden presidency different than the ones that Donald Trump had?
0: Well, I think the main difference is we're not going to have this theatrical effort that Donald Trump undertook that's been a total failure of, of you know, build the wall and, uh, and we'll keep all of the Mexica, people from Mexico and Central America uh, from coming into the United States. We're going to get away from those theatrics. Uh, I think we will come up with an immigration policy that is fair. Uh, There's going to be limits uh, and and restrictions in terms of of who's coming in, Uh, but it'll be one that's that's based on fairness, and it's going to be one that's based on appreciating the people that are currently here in this country and their families. They are working contributors to our democratic system of governance and and our communities. And and we are thriving in many ways because of them. So we need to appreciate the role that they've played in helping build this country. And you know, our country was built on immigrants, and we can never lose uh, track of that. We need to adhere to that and to uh, support these people. So it'll be a policy that's that's balanced. It'll be more balanced. And Biden will have he will have issues to deal with on both sides, from the left and the right. Uh, from the left who thinks he, he's not going far enough, and from the right who thinks he's going too far. So it'll be uh, it'll be a policy based on, on moderation.
1: And then you take other issues that are really in that vein, too, where he might have pressure from the left and the right. Uh, mm-hmm. Medicare for all and the Green New Deal come to my mind.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I think the focus, his focus the first year and a half is really going to be on restoring uh, some uh, sense of, of making sure that our healthcare care system is working for all. Uh, and we've, we've got to get through the pandemic first. Uh, first first and foremost, I think we're going to learn because of the pandemic that a lot of people, a lot of Americans, tens of billions of Americans have probably put, some of their major health issues on the back burner because of the pandemic. Uh, people can't get to their doctors. Uh, yes, they can do virtual uh, health screenings with their doctors, but it's not the same. Uh, we've seen a lot of surgeries that have been put on the back burner. We've seen cancer treatments that are probably not happening at the speed that they need to happen. So, we have a healthcare system that is that is hurting right now. Uh, our hospitals, our local community, not-for-profit hospitals, are hurting badly right now, and so uh, he's got to, he's got to look at all of that. And I and I I'm confident that uh, his team within the White House and within HHS and in Congress will want to look at this carefully, and then we'll get to issues like. Medicare for All, a single-payer pay, single program. We'll, we'll look at aspects of how to make uh, Obamacare uh, work work better. And, and I think you'll see some semblance of bipartisanship around that as well.
1: So you remain optimistic, then, that this could be a good start, not only for your party, but uh, for the country in a post-Trump era?
0: I, I think it is. I, I think... Uh, I think in many ways this is an FDR moment for Joe Biden, uh, and it's a, it's, I think it's a moment for, uh, for the Republican Party to really uh, reestablish uh, themselves. Uh, again, I, I, I made the reference that they were slaves to Donald Trump for, for four years. They, they can now move out of that. Some, some of the leadership within the Republican Party will, will pick up on where Donald Trump left, And continue some of his uh, rants. But uh, I I think the mainstream Republican Party will begin to reestablish itself. And I I, I think in the long run that will be a good thing.
1: Scott Widmeyer, thank you for your time today. Much appreciated.
0: Thanks, David. I enjoyed it.
1: And that will do it for this edition of Upstream Downstream, sponsored by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University. I also want to thank Rob Mario and WRNR for assisting with today's production. Our producer, Sarah Burke, and our associate producer and editor, Bianca Eisen. Until next week, I'm David Welch. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Upstream Downstream, presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd
0: University. To learn more about the Stubblefield Institute or to become a friend of the Institute, please go online to stubblefieldinstitute.org.